Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is June 12th. D- June 12th? What is wrong with me? June 12th, 2019. And it's a pretty busy day, huh? Aside from me having this cough for some reason uh, all morning, we have a lot of hearings going on, crazy hearings, insane hearings that we need to talk about. Uh, But I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about what President Trump did in Iowa yesterday Talk about a little bit of the fake news going around in respects to the Iowa um, speech, too. I think maybe we should talk about that later because you know what I want to delve into? Adam Schiff. So today they're having this Mueller lessons, lessons learned from Mueller after the the train wreck of John Dean, um, you know, testifying or commenting yesterday. I just thought that it would be important for everyone to listen to Adam Schiff's opening statement today. It drove me in. I, I'm listening to it and this morning and I'm sitting there thinking, this can't be real. Okay? This has to be some alternate universe. I mean, looking at his face, he knows what he's saying is not true from his micro expressions, but so much to test. And it just blew my mind. Just listen to his opening statement. The and Clinton campaign had even been hacked, let alone that Russia was behind the attack and planned to weaponize the data that it stole. In July of 2016, the Russian government began dumping the stolen emails in precisely the same fashion it had previewed for Mr. Papadopoulos. It was, it was at this point informed of the Russian outreach to Papadopoulos and aware that the Russians were actively meddling in our election through the anonymous release of the information that the FBI opened up its investigation. But as James Comey would explain in his first public testimony on the matter in March 2017 and before this committee, the investigation began not as a criminal probe, but as a counterintelligence investigation. What does that mean? How does a counterintelligence investigation differ from a criminal investigation? What does it mean that a U.S. person may be acting as a witting or unwitting agent of a foreign power? And how could the Russians use the compromise of U.S. persons to influence U.S. policy in a manner that jeopardizes our national security? These are the questions that we hope to answer today. The Bureau will help us better understand the counterintelligence implications of the range of contacts between the Trump campaign and Russians directly or indirectly tied to Kremlin intelligence services. Volume one of the report outlines a sweeping and systemic effort by Russia to interfere in the 2016 election for the benefit of Donald Trump. It establishes that the Trump campaign welcomed the Russian interference because it expected to benefit electorally from information stolen and released through the Russian effort. It shows how the Trump campaign built the theft and dumping of Russian stolen documents into its campaign messaging and strategy. And as special counsel made clear, it sets out in great detail why the conduct in his report should concern every American. All right, let's just stop there and just translate what he said with facts. So what he's saying is, is that uh, they had a concern 
that the hack of the DNC was to be weaponized by the Russians, uh, colluding with President Trump so that he can use this information to his advantage, okay? And that George Papadopoulos, along with Carter Page and everyone else, uh, were victims to Russian agents or may have been active participants with the Russian agents, okay? Uh, Even though those Russian agents, in air quotes, are FBI and CIA assets. They're not Russian assets. Obviously, that's omitted from the Mueller report. You know, they're not referencing the fact that Ms. Fudd works for Western intelligence you know, downer, you know, the whole nine yards. Uh, The fact that they say Cohen was in Prague when he wasn't. um, It's just pure insanity, okay? And they're trying to make it sound as if because we found these, we started a counterintelligent probe, which isn't a criminal probe because you could be being used by foreign intelligence, right, without your knowledge. Like, this is how far they're going. There's a woman sitting behind Schiff, that's smirking every now and then. Like these people know that what they're saying is completely false. This was all manufactured. You can see a smirk as he reads this, uh, you know, because it's still going live. The House Intel holds hearing on Mueller report. You can find it on YouTube uh, through the Fox Business Channel. I mean, it is pure insanity. He's smirking while he's saying this. And he's trying to say, because Russians supposedly hacked the DNC, which hasn't been proven yet, remember that, because even though Mueller indicted 18 Russians saying that they did it in Guccifer and you name it, the whole nine yards, it's BS because they never got the server. Nobody actually searched the server to see if indeed it was Russians. They took Hillary Clinton's paid for company with money of the DNC, Hillary and Obama paying a company that is not contracted with the FBI to falsely, you know, say whatever they want. Who knows if it's false? Who knows if it's true? We don't because they're not a qualified company to actually assess. I bring back the DNA sample. I want to, I'm, I'm a prosecutor and I say that you committed murder. I take your cheek swab to check the DNA. I give that cheek swab to my neighbor who has a company and I pay him 20 bucks out of my pocket so that he can give me the results. Results say you're the murderer. Now, will that be admissible in court? No way because it was not done through a proper registered vendor with the U.S. government that can create that you know, that can forensically analyze that. The same thing goes here for the server. The FBI has said they never received the server. So again, how did they know the Russians hacked the server? They don't because they didn't. We all know it was Seth Rich. We all know it was Americans. I, as well as many other thousands of Americans that are pretty savvy, had seen these emails before they even went to WikiLeaks because they were online. So why are they saying that the Russians did it when they can't prove that? Because they never searched it and never actually had the server to verify that. So it's all BS. So they're saying because those emails were going to WikiLeaks and because people in the Trump campaign were like, yo, where are those emails? We need it because opposition research is something everybody does. I mean, uh, you know, candidates go up for election and then suddenly it comes up. Oh, you know, 20 years ago. 
someone tried cocaine and there's a picture of them. Okay. Uh, you know, what about the tapes with President Trump saying grabbing women by whatever when he was locker talk, locker room talking with some dude in a private sector, just to, you know, private session. Where were they on a bus? Who cares? Talking man talk. Like, who cares? This is opposition research. So knowing that someone has damning information about your opponent in elections makes you a criminal? Like what? This is how far they're going. Obviously, throughout this whole hearing, they're being called out saying it's not illegal and it's not you know, unprecedented for people to want to see opposition research. So we don't get your point because... If we look at the emails Hillary Clinton had up until the DNC was imaged, the DNC server was imaged, they were looking into stuff for Trump. So they call theirs opposition research, but they call whatever the Trump administration did collusion. Hmm. Why? Because there was actual evidence of crimes, of nefarious, nasty, satanic things that you guys were doing. The fact that you were colluding with the media to put out stories. The fact that you were getting questions to um, live sessions before anyone else. So you already had the questions, so you knew what you were going to be asked. I mean, come on, guys. This is just how ridiculous it is. Let's let him finish this up. Take a listen. The report details well over 100 contacts between the Trump campaign and agents and officials of Russia. Some of this outreach was conducted in public, as when the president called on Russia to hack his opponent's emails, and only hours later, a unit of the Russian military intelligence, the GRU, attempted to do exactly that. Other contacts took place outside of the public view, as in the case of the June 9, 2016 meeting at Trump Tower in New York between a Russian delegation and the president's eldest son, Donald Trump Jr., his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and Paul Manafort, Trump's campaign chairman. That meeting was part of a plan to secretly receive help in the form of dirt on Hillary Clinton from the Russian government. Still other contacts because of encrypted apps, destroyed communications, and deception remain shrouded in secrecy, such as Manafort's meetings with Konstantin Kalimnik, someone the FBI assesses to have ties to Russian intelligence, Manafort's provision of internal polling data to Kilimnik, and their discussion of the campaign strategy for winning Democratic votes in Midwestern states. Most Americans consider the solicitation of foreign help during a presidential campaign, the offer of foreign assistance, and the campaign's eagerness to accept that offer, quote, if it is what you say it is, I love it, to constitute plain evidence of collusion not to mention the sharing of polling data and campaign strategy by the chairman of a campaign with a foreign nation, which at that very same time is intervening to help their campaign win. Nevertheless, and contrary to the president's oft-repeated mantra and the many misrepresentations of the attorney general, the special counsel... Hold on. I needed a pause there. So he's talking about opposition research, saying that it was through the Russians. But yet... It's brought up during this hearing that Hillary Clinton did the same with the Ukraine, but she didn't commit a crime. Neither did Obama paying the Ukraine for this. But apparently because the WikiLeaks emails were done by Russians and they wanted the WikiLeaks emails or they were anticipating the WikiLeaks emails, 
there's Russian collusion. Do you see how far-fetched it is? Guys, every time I pause this video, he's smirking. I want to smack his face through the screen because it's so irritating that they have the audacity to even say things like this. Let's allow him to continue. Council reached no conclusion as to whether the Trump campaign's many Russian contacts constituted collusion, since that term is not defined in criminal law. For those who have not yet read the Mueller report, and most have not, they might be astonished to learn that a finding of no collusion, much less a finding of no obstruction, is nowhere to be seen on any page or in any passage of the Mueller report. Instead, in making its charging decisions, the special counsel examined only whether it could meet the Justice Department's high bar of being able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt at trial each element of the crime of conspiracy, and found that it could not, even as it emphasized that the failure to establish a conspiracy did not mean the absence of evidence of conspiracy. Volume 1 of the Mueller report is therefore by its very nature and the special counsel's mandate a report about the exercise of prosecutorial judgment, who should be charged and who should not. It does not contain the FBI's counterintelligence findings, that is, were Trump campaign transition or administration figures, including the president, acting as agents of a foreign power, wittingly or unwittingly? Were they advancing Russian or other foreign interests by virtue of financial incentives or compromise, whether or not such actions were a crime? These are the types of concerns that the FBI's counterintelligence division works to expose, prevent, and investigate using an array of investigative and intelligence capabilities. As we will hear from our witnesses today, the primary objective of a counterintelligence investigation is not to target an individual for prosecution, but to protect the nation by developing information about the actions and intentions of foreign powers and to thwart them before they can act against us. The president's efforts to make money from a real estate project in Moscow and to conceal the transaction from the public are a quintessential example of a counterintelligence nightmare that may or may not include criminal activity. It may not be a crime to build a Trump Tower in Moscow or for Michael Cohen to seek the Kremlin's help to do so. It may not be a crime to try to enrich yourself with a foreign business deal even while running for president or to lie about it to the American people but it is deeply compromising. And not only because the, of the inducement of hundreds of millions of dollars, no, that is only part of it. It is also deeply compromising because the Russians were on the other end of the transaction and could expose the president's duplicity at any time. In fact, when the Trump organization's efforts to enlist the Kremlin's help in the deal were finally exposed, Dmitry Peskov, Putin's spokesman, told the international media that the Kremlin never responded to Michael Cohen's outreach. You know, I am so frustrated just listening to him. And again, paused it and he's smirking. There's micro expressions your face does when you find gratification in what you're doing. Uh, sometimes it's very evident. Other times you just have to freeze frame to see it. It makes me sick that this has been allowed to happen. This is happening on our dime. They are wasting our time and our money for this. It is incredible how they're doing this, it, how they're being, how they're allowed to do this. And, you know, in, in, in essence, you have to think like, 
is anyone out there really advocating for us Americans that are tired of this? Because today when I was seeing uh, this live going on Facebook, almost every single comment was like, come on, get over it already. It's done. It's over. He's president. Move along. Instead, they're just constantly, constantly, constantly going after it, which makes you wonder just what they have to hide. And specifically, they need this pandering. Do you know why? Because in 2020, aside from presidential elections, we have 435 seats in the House up for election. 435 seats in the House. So you know what? And to be honest with you, let them drag this on. Let them make a mockery of themselves because 2020 is coming around the corner. And even the leftists that are more centered are tired of this. People are tired of the rhetoric. People are tired of the BS. And the minute, the minute, the D-class drops, Flynn as withdrawing his plea and he is exonerated completely like there was no reason he should have been there the minute Comey is arrested the minute Brennan is indicted and arrested McCabe where you at my boy you're not talking lately are you not so much fun when you're being indicted is it So when all of these things come to light and the slower, the better, we want it to be in their memory, guys, we need this to pop end of like right after Labor Day 2019, all up until January 2020 is when the hype is going to go. That is where it's going to be. Hunter Biden. Then it's going to pop, pop, pop. Because this is how you deal with them. We then control the cycle with all of this. I mean, what are they going to do? Bury it? They can't. 435 House seats. 34 Senate seats. This is what's up for grabs. Let them have their cake now. Because it's a fizzle. That's where they're at. Their candle has been burnt. They're done. Dust out the window. Let them have their fun. Schiff is going to be one of them going down too. Remember, 435 House seats are up for election on November 3rd, 2020. This is what is at stake. And we're not going to start hashing back now. No, allow them. Because when we come down, it's going to come down super hard. Um, Aside from this facade of, you know, righteousness, aside from this, you know, pony show of what did we learn from Mueller? We had another hearing that's uh, ongoing, if I'm not mistaken, which is a contempt vote on Attorney General William Barr for not providing documentation. I want you guys to listen to the opening statements here because uh, it's it's pretty interesting. This is preposterous. Uh, watching it was making my stomach turn. I was thinking Elijah Cummings, a crook, he and his wife, a crook, saying that he's coming in with the best of faith 
waiting for this. How do you have good faith when you have secret memorandums of understanding? I mean, right now, guys, the, the House Democrats are literally the enemies of our country. They are doing everything in their power to overthrow our government. Who has these people in here? It's time we fix it. We need to get rid of all of these clowns, all of them. And it's up on tw- in 2020. They're on the ballot. Just take a listen to this opening here. Let's get it going. Jackson, the chair's off. Okay, let's start him. Jackson, the chair's authorized to declare a recess of the committee at any time. Pursuant to Committee Rule 5 and Rule 11, House Rule 11, the chair may postpone further proceedings today on the question of approving any measure or matter or adopting an amendment of which a recorded vote for the yeas and nays are ordered. Now, pursuant to notice, I call up a report containing a contempt resolution. Uh, uh, Mr. Chairman, I have a point of order. May I finish? May I please finish? Thank you. Now, pursuant to notice, I call up a report containing a contempt resolution related to the 2020 census. Clerk will report the report which has been distributed in advance. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I have a point of order. The gentleman is not recognized. Well, the point of order actually from a parliamentary standpoint is a privileged motion, so I have a point of order, Mr. Chairman. What is your point? Do, do these guys, when they chair these committee, even know what the rules are? Like, he's kind of like, I'm not recognizing you. And Meadows is interjecting, you have to. Take a listen to this banter. My point of order is is that Rule 2F of the committee rules have been violated. And and the chairman has received a letter uh, which would outline that... That particular rule requires a three-day notice, Mr. Chairman, and and because the notice was put out on June 10th uh, at 5:48, uh, this committee's rules have been violated. Now, the chairman may be able to overrule this point of order, but I would like to clarify that if indeed this committee overrules this point of order then indeed it would be subject to litigation by House counsel. You will require the Department of Justice to file a brief. It will be litigated because indeed this is violating the House rules that everyone here agreed to. Thank you very much. Okay, so I want to clarify that. So you have to wonder... Why did they rush this hearing? Why did they rush the discussion of, oh, yeah, we want to get a vote on holding A.G. Barr in contempt? Why did they rush it when there's a three-day rule? Think. It's Wednesday. Why did they rush it to do it now? What's the rush? I'll tell you one thing that we know that I told you months ago before the state visit to the United Kingdom was put forward, if you remember, because I told you about that before it was announced, that when President Trump goes there, 
he will be officially filing on the day he arrives Assange's extradition. Today, that hearing was supposed to be held, but apparently they're saying it's being held on Friday. So sources tell me that discussion in the courts ensued today about Assange, who is currently in a hospital because his health has deteriorated. So pay attention to what other things are going on and why indeed they are rushing to flood the media with rubbish. Why are they pushing at the hand of the president to mandate him to exercise his executive privilege, which he did, even though they knew that this contempt vote would not fly? Personally, I would have not ushered the president to exercise his executive privilege. I would have allowed them to pass the vote for con- to find him in contempt and then file and then file it in court and let the Supreme Court figure it out because like Meadows said, they violated the rules. They did not allow for the time that is depicted in the rules of the house. So any vote would be warranted as invalid. We'll continue with this hearing and its analysis right after this break. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr. and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switch to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it. But we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855 700 2978 855 700 2978 855 700 2978 that's 855 700 2978 guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam sounds great right even better your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease if you're a u.s citizen between 50 and 80 you can get life insurance guaranteed It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for MyPillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 
Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So uh, in the first hour, we talked about the lessons from the Mueller report uh, that uh, it was being held this morning that kind of made a lot of people sick uh, to their stomach and just tired of the rhetoric. And here we have uh, where we're discussing the hold holding bar uh, attorney general bar in contempt for not providing documentation on how they decided on the 2020 census to put uh, the question, are you an American citizen? Which I find fair. I mean, shouldn't we be able to know how many American citizens are currently in the United States and how many are not? I mean, th- that's something normal. I don't see why they would not want that question on there. Because at the end of the day, we all know that if the census was to come back and indicate that over one third of our population are not citizens of this country, I think the left, those that are leaning more center, would have a big problem about that, uh, considering that they aren't American citizens. And that would also help us figure out voting. Uh, You know, and I'm going to say it again. Voting rolls are actually exported from DMV records. The fact that all these uh, blue states are rushing to ensure that illegal migrants have driver's licenses is a big deal because they get printed on the voter rolls. And uh, the DMV, for some reason, does not exclude those that are not citizens. And they rely on the good faith of those that are not citizens to not vote. Pretty incredible. So, Let's continue listening to how Elijah kind of starts this whole thing. Thank you. I, um, I'd like to address the, the letter the ranking member uh, sent last night, raising a new technical argument about the committee's rule on circulating the memo for today's business meeting. Basically, he argues that the memo should have been sent last Friday instead of this past Monday. I sent a letter back to him this morning explaining my position, and I can summarize it here. In the last Congress, the committee rules used to, used to require a memo uh, 72 hours 
before a business meeting. In January, we on this committee unanimously adopted rules that changed that requirement to three days. As I stated when we made that change, our purpose was to make sure that our committee rules matched the House rules. The timing of our committee rule was drawn from the House rule on noticing business meetings. That rule provides that a markup cannot occur, and I quote, earlier than the third calendar day before it is noticed. The House parliamentarian has interpreted this rule as including the day the notice is sent and the day the business meeting occurs. Committee staff confirmed this interpretation with the parliamentarian again yesterday. So in other words, we needed to send a notice on Monday for a markup today. Mr. Chairman. That, may I finish, please? That is exactly what we did here. That is how we have been interpreting our rules for the past six months. And that is now how I interpret the rule today. With that said, I understand if this rule change caused some confusion, there are slight differences in the wording of our rule and the House rule. The problem with the ranking member's interpretation is that the committee could send a memo out to members before we even notice a markup. I do not think that process makes sense, and that is not the intent of our rule. I've stated... Okay, so basically he's excusing himself as to how he's allowed to uh, bypass the rules and how he doesn't interpret it like this and that, you know, what he sent out was kind of more of a... Um, a reference, not so much uh, the actual factual of of what is to be going on. Uh, so basically, he was skirting around the fact that he can justify it. Now, during the course of the whole, you know, conversation and everything, uh, obviously it was uh, being appealed. So they appealed it and said, "No, we are not accepting what you are saying." Uh, what you are saying is false. Um, we will not allow for this to happen. Uh, you know, so an appeal vote was being done. Uh, and during this appeal, they were appealing uh, the ability to vote for contempt and putting these amendments, et cetera, to get it done. So an appeal was done and they held a vote. It was they it was 20 to 15, meaning the Democrats won this 20 to 15. Alexandria Cortez wasn't there. Then she appeared. So they later added her vote. It was a hot mess. In the end, you know, he's like, oh, we received notice that the president invoked, uh, you know, executive privilege. So we're going to delay this and they're calling session and they're going to reconfer uh, later on today. I need you guys to take a step back and understand what's going on. So yesterday we discussed John Dean and the day before yesterday, we kind of touched base on it, uh, you know, 
their idea, what they've done is a plan so nefarious. As I demonstrated to you, John Dean was coaching Lanny Davis. They wanted Cohen to be the John Dean um, of this era. Right. Because John Dean was coached. He got himself, you know, uh, immunity. So he never went to jail, even though he lied and he lied to 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 frame Scooter Libby. Okay, so he lied, 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 lied. Now, Cohen, on the other hand, was trapped. Okay, so he did what he could to maintain uh, his life or whatever other threats they threw at him. I mean, his attorney was working really hard to find some way to entrap the Trump administration into obstruction of justice by offering on behalf of supposedly Cohen. And Cohen said, no, I did not ask for a pardon because he didn't. This was the idea that John Dean gave to Lanny Davis. This was discussed in New York with Schiff. It was discussed. They were trying to find anything to put forward and entrap or make it seem so that President Trump was obstructing justice or in exchange for Cohen not speaking, he would pardon him. This was the plan. This is how far it went. And remember, since he was elected, they started up with this Russia, Russia, but in the background, what were they doing? They were trying to find ways to tie this into Watergate. Why? Because, of course, they're going to bring John Dean, the expert. He was the one that lied. He ordered the DNC. He did things on his own, and he threw Nixon under the bus. What they needed was the pathway. And that is what they've been discussing. I mean, we saw Jim Baker, who testified many, many times, but nobody asked him these questions as to why are you trying to synonymize what you guys are claiming the Trump administration did to the Nixon administration? They're not going to say it because that was their playbook. See, I've said it before. Corrupt people do things again and again and again. If if it works, why not do it? I mean, they use the same template on Nixon to George Bush and they successfully took over the White House. And so when Bush 43 was ambushed by this fourth unelected branch of government, the template that they used on Nixon totally worked on Bush. So it's got to work on Trump. That was the thought process. All you have to do is pay attention to what John Dean was saying, how John Dean was working with Lanny Davis and what Cohen said, because everyone's like he lied because he did ask for the pardon when Cohen didn't ask for the pardon. His lawyer did. And the lawyer was coached so by John Dean to do so in order to possibly get a response from the Trump administration that would be favorable to be demonstrated as obstruction of justice. This is just how deep-rooted, how multifaceted this whole coup is, and it's all about power. And even though a lot of people are like, well, Barr's doing it, he is, but he's also part of it. Remember that. He is not impartial to it. Now, there's a sliver of hope that he may be 
like many of us who saw many things happen and just held their tongue and kept their head down, uh, waiting for that moment in time where they can arise and um, execute uh, justice and terminate such actions happening in the future. But no, they are so smart that even those that we see fighting on our behalf are actually part of them. And we must be more diligent into paying attention to small little things that occur. Small little nuances, small little things, because, you know, Attorney General Barr asking the president to invoke executive privilege for me was wrong. We should have allowed them to take that vote and then we could have taken it to court and let the courts decide. If indeed the attorney general is for not providing when Congress invoked the vote outside of the rules. I mean, that was the opportunity. And that's where you see the little slight things that make you go, hmm, that say, damn, they're smart. So the only thing we can do is hope that the good guys are way smarter, right? And we're seeing a lot of progress but we're also seeing a lot of stress. Now, yesterday, if you guys noticed, before he left uh, for Iowa, and remember yesterday I said Iowa is important. Uh, before he left for Iowa, he was talking to reporters and was explaining to them about the Mexican um, agreement that he had. Uh, he even flashed it. He told them, like, here, you want this, but you're not going to get it. You want this, but you won't, because then you'll tear it apart. I'll wait for Mexico to, to, to reveal that. I'll let them do it. But I have it right here in my pocket. Take a look. Now, there were reporters that actually claimed and tweeted. So it was um, Washington Post reporter, um, senior advisor to Hillary Clinton, a CNN political analyst, and a Talking Points memo editor who were saying that, oh my gosh, Trump is such a loser, the paper was blank, when it wasn't. It was clearly a document, clearly had letter markings. It was a typed up document. It was one page. It was pretty simple. And they were perpetuating this idea. Now, one may say the only reason they did it is to say, nope, here it is. Look, you know, no, he didn't fall for it. But another thing is, is this is just how insane they are. This is how uh, they foam at the mouth uh, on anything Trump. And you have to wonder sometimes, okay, because I think about it, I'm like, these reporters aren't even part of the deep state, right? They're not even part of this fourth unelected branch of government. I mean, don't they have any just regular common sense uh, to see all this rubbish being peddled? I mean, they're in there. Don't they get tired of the false rhetoric? Don't they get tired of the BS? I mean, uh, people that are not even on the Trump train are tired of it. How can they not be tired of it? You know, they're always trying to get in there with a the jab and, you know, trying to say something about our president that'll make him look horrific. I mean, th- seriously, though, think about it. Don't they get tired of it or is it just um, nobody cares? So that was one thing that I noticed. Um you know, during his, before his departure. The other thing is, is that uh, Congressman Steve King of Iowa uh, wasn't allowed to fly with Air Force One. 
Now, he's a Republican. Uh, he got all his congressional committee assignments uh, stripped of him this year uh, because he was kind of like out outspoken and not politically correct. Um when he was on TV talking about white supremacy and, you know, uh, stereotypes, uh, his words were indeed taken out of context. So, you know, King uh, didn't uh, get to ride on Air Force One. He actually asked the president, uh, the White House, to fly with him, and the president declined, um, even though uh, Senator Ernst uh, of Iowa and um, Fisher of Nebraska were on Air Force One with President Trump. So uh, Ernst was not planning to travel with the president um, because of what she had to vote and her schedule, but she did end up flying with him to Iowa. Now, Steve King didn't respond uh, to anyone about, you know, the White House telling him, no, you can't fly with President Trump. But I had this discussion with someone else. I actually kind of felt bad for him because his comments were taken out of context. You know, everyone jumped on that liberal train, stripped him of congressional committee assignments, of course, because it's a Democrat controlled thing. And the thing is, uh, unfortunately, and, and this makes sense, um, and my friend said, you know, he should have known better than to put President Trump in the position where he has to decline it. Because of all that rhetoric, imagine if uh, Representative King actually traveled with President Trump, they'd start saying, oh, look, he took a Nazi or a white supremacist with him on Air Force One. Uh, so I guess in that sense, it's correct. But I honestly felt bad. So, you know. Call me mushy or, you know, I, I sympathize with people, even when they do things wrong or whatever. Um, seeing his comments uh, and reviewing them this morning again uh, after my conversation last night about this with a friend, um, I realized they were indeed taken out of context. And you know how that goes. Uh, so I actually felt bad for him. But I also understand why the president declined and he should have known better than to ask. Uh, so that's that's a big deal. But in uh, in. In retrospect, you know, this was leaked also to the media that he asked and uh, the White House declined, which means, you know, this leak was purposeful to indicate that, uh, you know, the White House has no tolerance, I guess, for white supremacy, even though if you listen to his comments, they weren't that bad. Uh, they were completely taken out of context. So that's that pre-Iowa. So he gets to Iowa. First of all, let's talk Joe Biden, okay? Joe Sleepy Biden. He was talking and I don't know who was listening. I mean, how do you listen to him? What he was saying is complete rubbish. Remember, he was Veep for like, what, eight years? So for eight years, he did absolutely nothing of what he claims he's going to be doing now. Remember, this guy was vice president when Obama weaponized federal agencies against candidate Trump, which means that he took part in that, too. I don't care what you say. President, vice president, AGs, FBI directors, all under them. He had command of the FBI 
when Obama wasn't there. He had command of the AG, the CIA, the NSA, the DNI, you name it. So he was part of it. The audacity to even come out. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to cure cancer. Look, more power to you, babe. If you can cure cancer, that's amazing. But what did you do for eight years? Did you promote research? No. Did you pass a bill like President Trump did so that people can get on clinical trials easier? No. Did you help lower the standards of the FBI, uh, of the FDA and allow, you know, biohackers like myself that um, have novel ideas that would like to go into human trials, but you don't allow them unless they're bought out by big pharmaceutical companies. Did you do that? No. President Trump is, though. He is paving the way to advance clinical research, uh, to allow people to have access to innovative methods, to have a choice as to do I go to hospice or can I get on this risky but possible new clinical trial. That's something that he didn't do for eight years. And now he wants to do it. He was vice president eight years. He had his chance. Aside from that, he has so much going on in respects to Hunter Biden, who you remember had no idea of investment banking, had nothing like that, but suddenly got $1.6 billion from China. Why? Where is this money? And now that is a valid question that they can subpoena tax returns, not not just of Joe Biden, because Joe Biden was vice president, so those are public record, but those of his son too, because they're under scrutiny and investigation. And we have huge issues coming out from that arena. So I don't know why he's running because now it puts all scope on him, regardless of what immunity he feels he has because he's running. And, you know, it has to be, you know, the government has to be very, very careful on how they attack people during political campaigns. It could be seen as political warfare. So if you don't have a legit crime and you come after someone when there's elections, either that be for like school council, you know, mayors, governors, senators, uh, congressmen, or president, you know, you can't come after someone unless you have a crime because it'll show that you had an ulterior motive regardless. Because you can't say you had a bona fide reason to come in and investigate unless you have a crime, if you have documented evidence of, you know, strong evidence that there was a crime, unless you have a victim, and unless you have the other party testifying to it. So this is very important. So Biden is in a bind. And he talked a lot about President Trump, which was super weird. It's almost as if, you know, he's running like the rest of them, which is crazy. They're only running on anti-Trump rhetoric. They really don't have anything to stand for. And like I've said before, I said this since last year. You are going to see so many candidates, and I was right. And the only reason and the only purpose they serve is what? To fill up the DNC for the actual candidate that will come forward. All of them. All of them are clowns. None of them can be taken seriously. You can't take Mayor Pete seriously. Definitely not Elizabeth Warren. Cory Booker, seriously. Kamala Harris, come on. Let's pull out that Jesse Smollett stuff. Beto? Like, Biden? When he touches, sniffs, and feels up little girls in front of cameras, you can only imagine what he does behind cameras. And imagine if he's president. He'll do even worse. You think ordering hot dogs from Chicago is bad? 
Mm. So the bottom line is, who is their candidate? I've already told you it's Yang. I already told you. And, uh, you know, so that happened in Iowa. And before, uh, right after the break, we'll get into what President Trump said during Iowa's, um, during his speech in Iowa. But I wanted to tell you that if you guys watched him, there was something different about him. He was very irate. Uh, he wasn't himself. Uh, something was bothering him. And, you know, other people are saying, oh, it's the polling stuff. Like, who cares about polling stuff? There's so many articles where they're like, we have scientifically proven that Hillary Clinton's going to win hands down. And they were showing her, uh, they were showing the polls that they're showing now for Biden are the same polls they were showing for Hillary Clinton and Trump. Let's just put it that way. Um, so Biden's not going to be the candidate. It's going to be Yang. He's going to beat Biden. He is going to take Biden out completely out of the picture. They can fatten up the DNC. That is their purpose. But he is going to be coming up in the ranks. And you are going to see that happen. You are seeing it right now. And the thing is, the mainstream media is not giving him the time they should. But if they did, uh, they, they are going to, though, later on this summer. We saw him break ranks with the Rubin report. He's coming up and he's speaking common sense with a, a, a huge dash of socialism. So we need to be, you know, understanding that the polls mean nothing. Polling data means nothing. And I don't believe that was the concern. There is something else that we can't, I haven't put my finger on, but he did say something strange. So I'm going to play that clip for you after the break because uh, it was a little bit off. I also wanted to say, did you see how I knew that Kim Jong-un sent him a letter? He mentioned that right before he went to Iowa. A great letter of communication. Because like I said, North Korea is finally free. So after this break, we're going to analyze just a few things that President Trump said during his Iowa speech. And we're also going to discuss what's to come today and hypothesize why the Democrats are rushing. It's Wednesday. Why are they trying to get all these hearings in before the end of the week? See you all in just a bit. Discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. 
Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. So this is the second hour where I want to get into the nitty-gritty, right? Um, and talk about Iowa and talk about the things that people missed. And I'm also going to put out something that I kind of found odd and I'm still trying to figure out what it means. And I would love for anyone listening, uh, if they have any idea, you can email me at Tori at Tori says.com or DM me on Twitter, um, at Tori underscore says, uh, that's T O R E underscore S A Y S. Or you can find me on, uh, red state talk radios, Facebook page as well. So, before I begin, I just wanted to kind of just say something about uh, our my most beloved general. I told you guys, you know, that he was never going to be sentenced. I put out there that in March he would not be sentenced, and I said that months ago. Uh, and then I also said it's going to be pushed back, which it did to July. Uh, And I also said that the next step is him withdrawing his plea and this just all going away, though, even though it's all going away, keep in mind, he's still going to cooperate. Like, yeah, I'll give you information on whatever ongoing investigations you have, but you got nothing on me. So just clear my name, please drop this. So that is exactly what's going to happen. Now, the rumors and the chatter that I was hearing was that Joe DeGeneva would be his attorney, though I wanted to say that I was a little bit refrained when I heard this and it came from credible sources uh, because that would be a conflict because it was Joe DeGeneva that brought uh, the um, 702 violations to the attention of uh, the FISA courts. So that could have been a little bit of a concern, even though they work together, you know, in essence, we all work together, right? Um you know, it could have been an issue. So I um, have news. It's Cindy Powell that is indeed going to be, uh, that is uh, General Flynn's attorney. I mean, she is, uh, I don't know her personally. Uh, I can't say that I've worked with her, but I have followed what she says. Um and more so followed uh, the things that uh, she has um, put together and put out commentaries, you know, et cetera. So I'm very excited that she is his new attorney. Uh, she seems to uh, know what she's talking about. Uh, she has herself in court, from what I know, uh, almost a thousand, like, tons of appeals in federal court uh, successfully. Uh, So she is way up there. I love her spirit. And she is she's the type of person that got into work as an attorney because she likes it. And uh, before I get, you know, into I just wanted to say the majority of our lives we work. I say this to my children that are eager, like my 13 year olds, like, I can't wait to be 14 and go work like at the movie theater and make money. And it's like, stop. 
You don't have to work. My daughter, who is now serving in the armed forces, I told her, you can't get a job until you're 18 and you're legally an adult and I can't stop you. But as your parent, I don't need you to work because you're not going to go get a job, you know, putting up shelves. Uh, I think I give you enough discipline. Maybe you can stock our shelves. Um, And if you do get a job, which she did, by the way, at the age of 18, it has to be one that teaches you skills. Skills that I can't teach you, skills that you may need at some point in life. And guess what? She went and learned how to be an oil changing technician. She worked for Valvoline. Okay. How awesome is that? Because now uh, I have a child that can change my oil, but also if anything happens to her while she's driving a vehicle or anything as an adult, she'll be able to address, uh, you know, general issues with the car. Like she knows about cars and that's impressive, right? So anyway, she did that because she enjoys uh, mechanical uh, things, doing things with her hands and learning inner workings. The point is all of us in our life, We have a choice. We can either have a job and every Monday that we wake up, you know, hate the fact that we go to work or we can have a career. Again, you don't have to like your career, but what you have to do is find something that makes you happy, that you enjoy doing, that you become obsessed about. Like when you're obsessed with your work and you're like, I'm obsessed. I love this. I know this. I'm doing this. I enjoy it. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. I can't wait to go to work. That's when you know you are doing what you were made to do. Cindy Powell, having seen some of her briefs in the past, uh, specifically on three cases that I was following um, years ago, She has so much spirit. You could see it in her, you know, uh, in her filings. So these are people you want by your side, people that are excited, people that want to do what they're doing. So whatever your your job is right now, whatever you're doing, think, is it making me super happy? Because that is how you live longer and uh, provide better Uh, people that are happier, produce better. Uh, you know, that's, that's something that has been proven time and time again. And I know a lot of us didn't make the right choices in the past or whatever, but, um, and maybe you're in a job that you, you're, you know, you're content with. Maybe we can find a way to spark more interest or something. I just thought I'd say that because I get a lot of emails from people saying, oh, you know, I kind of wish I was doing this or that. And I thought it was something that I could just throw out there and mention because uh, I do read all your emails. Um, as you know, uh, every 10th of June until the 15th, I take a hiatus from my DMs, uh, just saying, and um that's kind of like a thing that I try to do, like turn off technology for like a few kind of thing. So I'm just letting you guys know, um, my emails, I read them all. Some of you send me some amazing articles, which is great. And I want to thank you for that. All right. Now let's shift gears and delve in Iowa. There were a lot of things that president Trump said that were super duper on point. And one thing that he said that I told you about, no one else has said it. And, uh, on top of that, Biden, I just want to play a clip of Biden and how he referred to president Trump. Look, I I believe that the president is literally an existential threat to America. Look, I I believe that the president is literally an existential threat to America. 
what? An existential threat to America? I mean, you won't even say that about China, but you're saying it about the president of the United States. That is super duper creepy. Super creepy. Now, for him to make that statement indicates that he is very anti-America. You have a candidate running for president that is calling the president of the United States an existential threat. Uh, You know, I'd love to have said that about Barack Hussein Obama, but I didn't. You know, the fact that he was saying that there's going to be no America if he continues. Existential threat. Our European, air quote, allies throwing the United States into the bucket with China and Russia makes me cringe and makes me understand just how elaborate and how expansive the attack on our country is, you know, I told you yesterday and again today reinforced just how deeply embedded this coup is, how many people are part of it, how far they went, how they had like a planning committee hoping to get this Watergate thing so nefarious because if they got the plan or the roadmap as they would call it, that would be, um, you know, kind of like precedent, kind of like see it's already happened. Look, then they have John Dean who was the most biggest snake flipper to tie and throw a president under the bus. Uh, you know, coaching people. He even coached Comey and Mueller during the Bush 43 overthrow. And Bush 43 maintained his spot because they all nailed it on Scooter Libby. And, you know, John Dean wrote a book about that too. And then cornering Cohen, trying to force it. You went to Prague, but I didn't. Manafort went there. No, he didn't. You went here. No, I didn't. You asked for a pardon. No, I didn't. They did. They did. See, I painted a really ugly picture of Cohen with what I had. But when I realized and I, it was made, uh, not, you know, I gained knowledge to know that John Dean was sitting with Lanny Davis, you know, talking about Cohen's case with Schiff. That is a very, very big deal. So not only that, now you have candidates attacking the president and that is all they have to run on anti-American fuel. That's it. They're gaslighting. You want to talk gaslighting? They're now running articles that the president of the United States is using those Japanese intermittent caps camps to put in illegal migrants. How dare he? That's where we had concentration caps camps for Japanese people, blah, 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 blah. No. It's an active base. Forsyth is an active base. And in 2014, Obama used it as a damn shelter. So I don't want to hear it. This is gaslighting. Like everywhere they go, they attack this man. I mean, I pray for him every day because as an individual myself, and like many of us out there that are outspoken, that are attacking corrupt individuals, that are attacking you know, the, the deep state that are trying to take them down, that are haunting them, hawking them, finding evidence against them, filing, filing complaints, criminal complaints, DOJ, all of us are being attacked and it is not fun. 
It is not fun for people that don't know you to have an opinion of you. It is not fun for people to call you names when they don't even know you. Imagine how our president feels. I mean, he's been in the public eye. Everybody loved him until he ran for president. And now, no matter what he does, it's never good enough. He's an existential threat to what, Joe Biden? To bringing back so many jobs, to cutting our taxes, to trying to reform our health care, to try to cut drug prices, to allowing prisoners that made a mistake get a real second chance and integrate with society? What What is the existential threat? The existential threat is to the new global order that Merkel and Macron refer to all the time. That is the only thing that is threatened here. That is the only thing. And just so that you understand how fear-mongering the past administrations have been, how stripping of thought process has been, do you know that in national parks, they had signs that would tell us that, like the National Glacier Park, that the glaciers would be melted by 2020? Well, those signs were actually just removed because it's 2019 and the glaciers are still here. Just saying. You have to see it for what it is. Corruption is what we are threatening now. The people of the United States that speak up, the people of the United States that rise up, the citizen journalists, the cyber soldiers, all of them are a threat to this fourth unelected branch of government that has planted and sowed and watered and fostered the seed of socialism in the name of a new global order. That is the way it is. That is fact. They tell you that in Europe. For some reason, if you say it in the United States, you're suddenly crazy. But Merkel has said it in her speeches. Macron has said it in her speeches that the United States is threatening our new global order. She said it just like that. So it's not a conspiracy theory. It's not a tinfoil hat, especially when all the countries of the European Union are singing the same song. Now, uh, just so people understand, uh, what President Trump has been doing is incredible. And he was out in Iowa yesterday. He spoke, and I'm going to play you a clip where he talks about something I told you about Iran. And I'd like to elaborate this before we get into the next segment of this show, where we're going to talk about the odd mention that he made and what we are expecting this week, which has been going by very slowly. Like I said, it would last week. It would lull in the middle. Monday would come like fire. It would lull and pick up on Thursday. Take a listen to this. And thanks to the skill and tremendous courage of our brave warriors and their allies, the ISIS caliphate has now been completely decimated in Syria. We've done that. And you have to understand that there could be, these are crazy people. These are really crazy, crazy, sick people. So when I say it's done, nothing, it's never done. We've taken back all of the land, 100% of the land. When I took over, it was, it was, and it was a sea of red. And every month it was less and less and less. And then as you saw two months ago, we completed that. But that doesn't mean they don't walk into a store with a bomb and blow up a store because these people are stone cold crazy. 
Just a statement on that, because today is the remembrance of the Pulse nightclub. Remember, people are now of the left are embracing the radical Islamic terrorists. There are people coming in through the border with that primary objective from nations that are plagued with ISIS, uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, you know, Al-Shabaab uh, operatives that are coming through our southern border. New Mexico was riddled with prayer rugs, weren't they? There was a report on that too. And not only that, now we have some Islamic Brotherhood backed by the Muslim Brotherhood down by the border to help uh, Muslims that are crossing the border uh, seek refuge. And we all know that Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, right? Those nations are Catholic-based, Okay, they're pretty conservative by way of life, aside from the fact that they're super corrupt and, you know, they have their own problems. They are very deeply embedded in the Catholic faith. So they're not coming from there. I just wanted to make that notion, you know, put that out there. Not good. Not good. Not good at all. I withdrew the United States from the disastrous Iran nuclear deal. And what a difference that made. The previous administration gave $150 billion to Iran, and they gave $1.8 billion in cash. Think of that, $1.8 billion in cash, cash, flown over in airplanes, massive amounts of cash. Nobody's ever seen a billionaire in cash. They didn't even have enough American money in our tri-state area next to Washington. With all, it's how big it is. They didn't have the money, so they had to get money from other countries to bring it in cash. We gave them $1.8 in cash. You know, we got nothing. We- I'm going to replay that for a second. He said we didn't have enough of the cash and we got it from other countries. Remember, I told you it was in multiple different currencies. And I've said before that Wells Fargo, according to the research that I have done, has been uh, identified as the bank brokering the import. They didn't have the money, so they had to get money from us. Why does it keep stopping there? The countries to bring it in cash. Gave them 1.8 billion in cash. You know, we got nothing. We got nothing. We got a bad deal. That's what we got. But we ended the deal. And when they signed that deal, they were screaming death to America. Do you remember? Death to America. How do you sign a deal when they're screaming death to America? They don't talk that way anymore. They're not talking that way anymore. They better not be talking that way. Actually, they are. Um, I watched some television the other day from an Iranian channel. I'll play the clip for you. I mean, it's in uh, their native tongue. But I want you guys to, uh, this was a sermon that was done in Iran. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible because they're saying basically the Ayatollah um, Yagubi was addressing the nation and he was talking about the U.S., the Arab nations that are supposedly controlled by Zionist Jews and how they will eliminate them. And this was just past Friday. Listen. 
So the emir made a wish um, on his deathbed. Just so you know, my dear Muslims, the ones that loathe you, hate you, or spite you, uh, you know, and they are your worst enemies, are the Jews, specifically the Zionist Jews. They um, created a, a political party. They organized. And it is the cancer at the heart of Islam. And this was a conspiracy or an attempt to go after the Muslims by these English proponents to place these, uh, you know, orphaned people of hateful faith in, in the center of the Islamic countries. This is why they chose Israel to have that land nestled within us. And they succeeded in planting it there to cause the problems that we have today with Islam and throughout the Middle East. So our primary uh, enemies are the Zionist Jews. And these Zionists are the ones that, um, you know, purport and push their agenda and manipulate America. They are the ones behind the scenes um, in the policies of the U.S. And you, Iranian people across Islamic Iran and um, across the Islam nation and across all Islam, Islam nations around the world, we are all aiming our weapons to the primary enemy and it's the international Zionists. Why are we doing this? Because Jerusalem is now in the hands of the Zionists. And the colonist countries uh, are behind the occupation. Europeans and the English are the ones behind um, uh, the attacks, and they're all Zionist. America, for the first time, uh, you know, tried to defeat them, but extended their hand to see if they would uh, help. They didn't realize they were making friends with the Zionists, even those 
even those Quran even those that protect Mecca so he's referring to like Saudi Arabia Qatar the rest of them uh, and uh, pray even those that are Muslim nations basically that allow us Muslims to actually go and pray to holy places have also extended their hand out to these Zionists hoping that the evil will actually stop being evil with kindness. Because they became friends with those that are enemies of the Muslims and of the free people. Okay, so that was actually something that was said um, to the Iranian people on Friday. Uh, it was more so indicating, and for me, analyzing it and the language, because, you know, Farsi is not something innate to me. It kind of... Um, he was inching, like when he was saying the Europeans and the colonists, he was referring to the new globe, new world order. So uh, he's calling them Zionist Jews or something like that. And he's also stated that America, you know, finally had a way to break free from these Zionists. But instead, America uh, reached out the hand uh, to find some common ground, just like the Arab nations did. And that was wrong, that they need to not do this. So all is. Islam nation should be pointing their weapons, according to him, uh, to that Zionist nation, which they have identified to be Israel. So a lot is happening worldwide on this front. And, um, you know, with the Iran deal and how it's going, uh, I foresee some really weird and um, concerning changes. Uh, we'll be right back shortly to continue this conversation. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate... Go to www.mikeflindefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking. Drugging. Broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978 2978-855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. 
If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. MyPillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. MyPillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. MyPillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 800-961-9194, promo code red state. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Welcome back to the Tory Says Show. So let's continue uh, with what President Trump said. And uh, what he said about Iran was a really big deal. The multiple currencies. I've said it before. The reason they had it was only so that way it can go to Iran, wash that money and bring it back home. That was the whole idea with a few kickbacks. Uh, you know, uh, watching different news stations from around the world, there are a few little Easter eggs that are dropped. So Iran has been funding Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, you know, the Lebanese are now kind of uh, rising up with the Hamas caucus, uh, you know, going on. We've got the Hamas caucus in in, in our house, don't we? Uh, you know, Ilhan Omar is going to be having problems soon, and um, that should be coming to fruition uh, quite near in the future. Now let's just continue to hear what the president had to say because it's in these minutes, these final minutes of his speech that he gave um, some odd commentary and some really good commentary. And after decades of broken promises, we opened the American embassy in Jerusalem. Many, many presidents had promised we will open the American embassy and they campaign and they never did it, but I did it. And then on top of that, just three weeks ago, the United States acknowledged Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. It's a big thing. Big, big thing. And that's been going on for 52 years. And many American presidents said we will do that. They never did it. They never did it. And I did it, and it was just fine. It's a great thing for Israel. It's actually a great thing for a lot of different people. But you need the Golan Heights for security, for proper security. And we got it done. The overwhelming majority of Americans support the Republican agenda 
of great jobs, safe neighborhoods, affordable health care, low taxes, and secure borders. Very simple. Very simple. And the vast majority of the people, not only in this room, but all over this country, oppose the Democrat platform of mass migration, high taxes, high crime, late-term abortion, and later-than-late-term abortion, hoaxes and delusions. The Republican Party is the party of the American family, the American worker, the American farmer, and the American dream. We believe in the Constitution and the rule of law. We believe in the dignity of work and the sanctity of life. We believe that faith and family, not government and bureaucracy, are the true American way. We believe that children should be taught to love our country honor our history, and always respect dearly our great American flag. And we believe that all Americans share one magnificent destiny as one team, one people, and one glorious nation under God. We fight on behalf of hardworking citizens who pour out their heart and soul and sweat every day to earn a living and take care of their families. They pay their taxes, follow our laws, raise their children, and safeguard the values that have made America the greatest nation ever to exist on the face of the earth. Here, here. And, uh, you know, this is where it starts when he starts to talk uh, to the Iowa uh, people themselves, where it gets a little bit um, different. And I'll point it out. But what he's been saying just in the past two minutes that I've been playing for you speaks, I think, to every American's heart. And our country right now is doing so much better in almost all ways than it's ever been before. You look at our economy, you look at our military, you can look at so many different things. We're doing better than ever before. And it's largely because of people like you. You work hard, you work smart, you work honestly, and we just appreciate it very much, very, very much. Thank you. This land is your home. These American patriots have always been loyal to our country, and now they're finally having a president who is loyal to them. It's about time, isn't it? Exactly. We were loyal to others. For the next 16 months. Exactly. We will keep on fighting. We will keep on working. And we will keep on winning. We're going to win for you. We're going to win again in 2020. Going to win for you. Keep America great. And in 2020, Iowa will once again be at the center of the action. Here we go. Remember I said we're going to keep Iowa first. Remember that? Jeff, you remember that? Huh? 
It was a big move to move Iowa to the back of the line or the center of the line, right? We worked very hard. I said, I win. We're keeping it. And we're keeping it right where it is. It's also a great tradition. I mean, wouldn't it look terrible if I was the 32nd nation in the voting line? I don't think. So what did he mean by that? Because he said they were going to go to the back of the line, maybe in the center. Wouldn't it look bad if Iowa was 32nd, was the 32nd nation in line to vote? Um, Listen to it again. Right where it is. It's also a great tradition. I mean, wouldn't it look terrible if I was the 32nd nation in the voting line? I don't think it would look too good, right? And Jeff, you worked really hard on that, and I appreciate it. Thank you. So that was curious to me, uh, you know, that statement. It was very specific. And I even thought, did he mean state and slipped and said nation? But then how are they 32nd nation in line to vote? So, or 32nd state. So I just thought I'd put that out there because that was something that maybe a lot of people missed. Um, I thought it was uh, important that I pointed out as um, for me, it rung. I mean, I'm not going to go out and and state what it meant for me because I'm still uh, looking around to figure out uh, what it could have meant. Uh, but I just wanted to put it out there for all of you that uh, listen. Uh, in turn, I just wanted to say with Iowa, uh, you know, the mainstream media had a field day saying that President Trump had a meltdown in Iowa. And it was so bizarre that even Fox, uh, you know, had to cut away. Uh, he, uh, you know, um Aaron Rapour from Vox uh, tweeted out saying that uh, President Trump was making things up about Joe. And then further, they were saying, uh, and this is from a lot of mainstream media articles, they said that. They said that he was so off his rocker that the Fox Business Channel cut away from his speech on a ramble about broadband in Iowa, wondering why tractors couldn't connect to the internet. And that was enough. So take a listen to what he said, and I'll tell you just how wrong the mainstream media is. Hold on, let's play this. We secured nearly $1.2 billion to expand rural broadband which you need very badly. You need very badly. They have not treated the Midwest well with broadband, with anything having to do with the word computer. I look at some of those tractors and they don't even hook up. They're all set, but you don't have the capability here in terms of your We're going to talk with our panel about... So this is where they pulled out. So let me, let me, uh, since I'm in North Dakota, I can, I'm not a farmer here, but you know what? I can actually refer to the olive groves. Uh, but just so you know, the newer equipment like combines, tractors, irrigation systems, they're all online. Uh, you know, they actually require connectivity. They have the latest software, uh, because farmers, um, farm more efficiently, uh, with newer technologies that can read soil levels, 
and uh, you can operate your combines uh, remotely per se. Uh, the combines can actually analyze things like it, it is it is pretty incredible. And the truth is, is that, yes, there is an issue. I mean, even in North Dakota, I know that there is Internet and they've attempted they're laying out fiber across the state, uh, you know, to get into rural areas, but it's very, uh, segregated. And there are a lot of farming areas that don't have access to it and have to still work with things like Hughes satellite internet and stuff like that. So what he said was completely a hundred percent on point. And for them to mock it means they have no understanding of the content or what he was saying. And to speak uh, to that, uh, you know, our olive groves, they have machines that literally um, uh, go to the tree and it kind of clamps onto it and it reads the tension that it can, that can be applied because basically what they do is they shake the olive tree just enough to not cause damage and shake off the olives because the ones that actually fall off the tree are what you would call extra virgin olive oil. And then those that you rake off that are black or a different type of olive oil. And those that you rake off that are green are like unripened olive oil for some reason people call it like the best one it's really not it's not as fruity it's super bitter but anyway um so that machine actually requires that you connect to the internet because what it does is it has a database of you know the sample that it takes to realize the trunk's ability um to sense how far the roots go because you don't want to damage trees especially our trees uh we have a couple of trees that have been there for like you know, over a thousand years. So you don't want to really kill that tree, do you? So, you know, Vox, um, Aaron, Rupar, whatever, what a clown. And the rest of them writing all these articles like Politic, um, Politicus USA, uh, CNN, all of them saying this are just, it's, it's a reach. It's disgusting. And what the president was saying is legitimate. And it is a concern because this is 2019 and we should be farming like it's 2019. And farmers use a lot of technology, uh, to farm more efficiently, especially Especially when they're trying to mitigate weather conditions, droughts, uh, severe ice, you know, frost, etc., they need to have the right equipment. Uh, and well, not right. They could have the right equipment, and it can be older. But the newer technology affords you the opportunity to preemptively. Um, you know, have information that may something may go wrong with your farm and save you time because usually farmers don't just have the farming land that they have. They have cattle and hogs and they have other side farm things. They don't just do wheat or soybeans. They have other things too. So on that note, I just wanted to say they tried to trash the president and to those that are ignorant about farming, they'll take that as if it's legit. I mean, that tweet itself had gotten 5,000 likes and it's like, how dumb are these people? That's how they don't understand. This goes to show that the left does not understand Midwestern America at all. It doesn't. It doesn't understand the needs and it doesn't understand how they operate. Remember, 435 house seats are up for grabs in 2020. This is where we need to have our eyes focused on. That is the goal. That is our primary objective to target 
that. That is all uh, we need to be focusing on. Now, on another thing, uh, you know, uh, Diamond and Silk have arrived um, by the house for a press conference, and they were actually joined by Representative Steve King. Uh, you know, he um, was is with them. Uh, Jared Holt uh, just was reporting on it earlier, and the conference isn't going that well because they're asking him questions about his racist past and diamond and silk are getting really irritated. And I don't think they're getting irritated with him. Uh, I think it's more so that the, the media is irritating them because they're trying to make, uh, you know, representative King's comment look, uh, as if they were portrayed. I feel really bad for him. I do feel really bad for him. It's, um, it's incredibly sad to see things like this happen. Uh, I also wanted to say um, that uh, today uh, there was a filing um, in the courts by Roy, by Judge Roy Moore, and um, there's developments on that. So let's see. Um, what do we have here? We have... Uh, discussion that they're going to be putting forward. They're saying it's it's Moore versus Cohen and CBS collectively. Cohen is known uh, as a, you know, he's a comedian. Let's see. Um, okay, so they were mocking Roy Moore. So he's suing them basically, huh? Um, so they were mocking him and inferring that he is a sexual predator. Good for him. I hope that happens. I hope they get held accountable for this. Okay, so that was filed today. Uh, discussion on that case. Good job. This is what you have to do. When people troll you and they put out knowingly false information or put out your private information without your permission, uh, these are actual crimes. Uh, criminal, defamatory, uh, slander, libel, the whole nine yards. You should hold them accountable. I mean, all of us should. And um, good on him because, you know, everyone forgot how that was a hoax and they just did it to win the election. But don't forget, 400 hours. So I wanted to play a clip of um, uh, Alison Camarota saying that socialism doesn't conjure Orwellian thoughts. She's like that they have to rebrand. But it also talks about, I, I think they're going to talk about Biden uh, talking about his reversal on abortion. Take a listen. It's pretty interesting. But Bernie Sanders released excerpts of a speech that he's giving today on democratic socialism. And it's fascinating to me that Bernie Sanders uh, is doing this, period. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he's saying, among other things, they, Republicans, may hate democratic socialism because it benefits working people, but they absolutely love corporate socialism that enriches Trump and other billionaire, billionaires. Smart move? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's speaking to a lot of the Democratic Party that looks up at our political system and our economic system and says it's grossly unfair. And uh, and there's a real audience for that. There's also real danger for Republicans generally and Donald Trump in particular to say, really, we're going to go down the road of socialism. It's smart to play offense on it. And, and I mean, just from a message yeah, standpoint, to try to, to say, define the terms cor- of it. corporate corporate socialism is worse than democratic socialism. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a smart. Don't they need to rebrand? I mean, we have to go. But socialism co- does conjure Orwellian thoughts in lots of voters. Yeah. It, I, I, to come up with a different name for it. Uh, that train oh, seems oh, to have sailed. But Bernie Sanders. 
What? So they're telling you on air, on CNN, how they're going to change definitions. Like I tweeted out this morning, illegal immigrants are now referred to as new citizens. So because the word socialism triggers people to Orwellian type, you know, thoughts, maybe we should change the the word we use or redefine it. Remember, I did a whole show on how redefining words changes your perception of things, right? Redefining words or using wrong words to identify something. That's basically it. Uh, you know, even Nancy Pelosi said, maybe we need to not call it an impeachment inquiry, but a criminal investigation, because that's what it is. This is what they do. They redefine things until they find that sweet spot to be able to literally change the minds of the people. That is how they operate. Uh, they're telling you this, doing, and it's just that people don't listen. They really don't. Uh, it's important that um, we understand that right now, okay, now it's Wednesday. I mentioned last week that we're going to have a hard Monday. Then it's going to kind of like de-escalate until it becomes a lull on Wednesday. And then start accelerating tomorrow into Friday. Now, what we've been seeing brewing in the background is a lot going on about the border. There are a lot of crazy things happening. We've got cartels shooting. And I want to say something on this. The president of Mexico, right? And it is so in other countries on the planet. And I'll be careful what words I use. They are working parallel to cartels, gangs, mafia, whatever you want to call them. It happens in Mexico. We see it in Belarus. We see it in, um, you know, France, specifically in Nice. Uh, we see it in Monaco. Um, so the cartels kind of have a very strong hold on Mexico. If you remember just over a year ago, a Mexican mayor was killed. Uh, they take them out uh, and nobody can say a word. The only way that Mexico would increase their forces and enforce immigration law, which is something their own people want, is by being guaranteed safety from the cartels. Now, if you remember, I had told you back in November that in Libya and Syria, specifically in Idlib, our president had wished to withdraw our troops and in turn slot contractors. Now, contractors can be previous uh, rangers, privately trained SEALs, people that have been contractors with the government in other facets and just pretty much guns for hire, right? That have one primary objective and that is to what? Eliminate the threat. I am almost certain that the deal that was cut with AMLO included a facet of our, our assistance to protect him and his government 
and in joint effort eradicate the cartel powers and holds that they have. And I believe that that is exactly what we're seeing today. I was just texted an article saying that those two people that were arrested uh, for being involved, uh, the rights group, uh, the activists uh, that are for um, that were dealing with the caravans and funding them and organizing them. Uh, they had a hung jury and they were released. So they were captured and it says the Mexican government has captured them to present them like trophies to the United States government. Um, said Pueblos Sin Fronteras. And if you remember, Cindy Gomez-Shemp has talked a lot about them. Now, uh, migrant rights workers say that the two arrests were part of a growing effort spearheaded by Washington to criminalize the protection of immigrants. We have to remember that most of these immigrants that come into our nation don't even turn up. It's over uh, uh, how many? I think it's like over 80 percent of asylum seekers never turn up for court. So what the president has done is he cut a deal with Mexico and we are helping them drain their cartel swamp because they are the ones that own the front holds. And these uh, these organizations like Pueblos de Fronteras are funded by the Democrats. They are funded by groups outside of the United States, too. We're talking United Kingdom. We're talking Germany. We're talking France. This is all going to be coming to the forefront because we have foreign nations supporting and funding these caravans, supporting and funding travel and providing false documents to people traveling from countries that are on a watch list in the United States coming in through Mexico and penetrating our border. This is a very big deal. This is what's brewing in the background. We're cracking down on these crazy immigrant advocates, what they're trying to call new citizens. These illegal migrants have no claim to the nation. They have no right to claim. And the fact that the Democrats are purporting that they do indicates just how anti-American they are. I mean, at this point, if we actually formulated militias and took our pitchforks and kicked them all out of the house, that would actually remedy the situation pretty quickly. But you would quickly be thrown into prison for trying to overthrow a government because unfortunately they're the government. So what we have to do is be patient, have faith, because it'll all work out. Because like President Trump said, he has a really great deal in place. And that's exactly what counts at this point. Tomorrow, we will have some very interesting developments coming up with a big explosion, per se, on Friday. We're going to have our boom booms go. Um, And let's keep an eye on Turkey. Are we really meeting Erdogan or are we canceling the F-35 deal? We'll see. See you all tomorrow from all of us here at Red State. God bless. God bless.